0: What's the best advice about acting that you ever got? The best advice about acting that I ever got? Um,
1: maybe it's from Sidney Poitier. He said, if I could say one thing to you, irony, that was it. What did that mean? What did that mean? It meant that you don't always have to play the note. You can play in between the notes playing, always playing the note, eh, you know, we hear it, but do we really feel it? In those moments that are most tragic, where's the comedy? You know, in those moments that are most comic, where's the pathos?
0: Jeffrey Wright is one of the great character actors of our time, a true chameleon who can play any role in the world. He's also a Brooklyn guy who lives around the corner from me, and I run into him on the street all the time. Right now, he's on hiatus from making the new Batman and spearheading a project helping Brooklyn hospitals get food from Brooklyn restaurants, thus feeding our courageous healthcare warriors and helping some iconic Brooklyn restaurants stay in business. Jeff is a really interesting guy on screen and off, so let's go. It's Jeffrey Wright on Toray Show. So Jeff, you got a really interesting uh, situation going in terms of taking care of people in Brooklyn, uh, healthcare workers via the restaurants in uh, in our area. Uh, you, you live around the corner from me, so I see what you're doing. Tell the people what you're doing and how they can help you.
1: Well, uh, the healthcare workers are taking care of us uh, and the first responders. Um, so what we're trying to do is really uh, support them by providing them uh, meals so they don't don't have to be concerned about where uh, food is coming from. Because obviously, most of the restaurants are closed around here. At Brooklyn Hospital, for example, you have folks working 15-, 16-hour shifts, uh, many of whom weren't going home. So uh, a guy named Lenny Singletary there, who's the VP for External Affairs, Uh, said that he could use the augmentation of their cafeteria. So we started on March 27th with 100 meals to Brooklyn Hospital uh, from two restaurants, Brooklyn Moon and Graziella's. It was really uh, Vito Rondazzo over at Graziella's who kind of kicked this off. He'd been delivering, or, or rather, asking customers to to purchase pizzas on behalf of staff at Brooklyn Hospital. He delivered a few pies over there, and someone pinged me on uh, on Twitter and gave me the heads up because, meanwhile, I've been trying to support my friend Michael Thompson over at Brooklyn Moon uh, to um, to to let folks know that he was now. More delivery oriented because his is a social space, his restaurant. He's been there for twenty five years, but not uh, really delivery oriented. And when it became clear that we were going to go on lockdown, I said, "Hey, Mike, you, you, you got to you know be aware of what's about to happen here, and and focus on the delivery side, and I'll try to boost you on social media to the extent that I can." So shortly shortly thereafter, after we went on lockdown, I reached out to him. I said, "Hey, Mike, how'd you do today?" He said, "Bro, I I, I had five orders." <laughs> which is not going to sustain, you know, uh, any restaurant uh, unless you, you're charging $10,000 a meal, you know. So, um, so uh, when I heard that Vito had connected with Brooklyn Hospital, I asked him to connect me with Lenny over there. And we, we got the ball rolling in that way, just with two restaurants, Brooklyn Moon and Graziella, one hospital, Brooklyn Hospital, 200 meals a day after the uh, was was what we agreed to uh, but the first delivery was 100 meals and um, we called ourselves brooklyn for life so we set up a gofundme page you can check that out and you can support there you can go to brooklynforlife.org and you can uh, you can click on a donate button there which will send you to the gofundme page but now we have 41 restaurants in rotation we're averaging about 2500 meals per day We just crossed the 40,000 meal uh, mark. That's all since March 27th. We're delivering now to six hospitals in Brooklyn, one in Lower Manhattan, New York, Presbyterian, because everybody wants to be in Brooklyn. So they slid into our circle and we welcome them. And every EMS station in Brooklyn, uh, that's 10 in all. So uh, it's keeping, it's about, yes, uh, trying to uh, help. Our healthcare workers but at the same time the healthcare workers are actually helping the community via the demand and uh, allowing these restaurants to um, to stay in business but of course they can't stay in business without the funding and so the community has supported that uh, but as well we've gotten donations from around the country when we started because people realized that New York was you know the, the hot zone and so it's just been amazing the way people have stepped up. We've raised last I checked above, over $180,000 on the GoFundMe page. I will say that there's been about 125,000 that has been contributed outside of the GoFundMe page uh, directly wow. to our 501c3. So we've raised over $300,000 to this point, but we need more cuz meals are flying out the door and uh, with those meals go the money. So uh, we, we we definitely welcome the support because we want to keep this going as long as it takes, as long as we have to. And at the end of the day, um, you know, we'll have uh, kept 40 restaurants in business through this thing. And if you looked at what happened <clears throat> just now with, uh, with PPP, with the small business loan uh, uh, project that had been set up in response to COVID, you know, you're just, you know, you're reading that places like Ruth Ruth's Chris Steakhouse got you know s- several million, uh, uh, Shake Jake Shack, Shack. Uh, Andy Meyer ten million, but they did, they they just uh, announced that they're Return returning it. that. Good for him. But <clears throat> it was called. Co- it was kind of you could pretty much anticipate it because you have these big chains and there was a loophole that allowed for any uh, restaurant that doesn't have more than fifty. Employees at any given location, so you don't aggregate the total employees. But at any, so there was a loophole that allowed these uh, larger chains to slip in there. And of course, they have the executive power. They have the, you know, the the, the lobbyists. They have the uh, legal teams and the accountants to jump on that opportunity. When local small, you know, uh, mom and pop small biz uh, soul food joint over in Nostrand doesn't have that. So, um, you know. It, it, we at least are, are, are supporting these restaurants directly if, if, uh, if they don't get access to this government support.
0: And if people want to help, it's brooklynforlife.org. It's brooklynforlife.org. Or you can go to our GoFundMe page, which is
1: BrooklynForLife Life, GoFundMe. You can uh, Google that or Google my name as well, and you'll find us there. And uh, you'll read our story and, um, and you know, give as much as you, uh, as you, as you feel.
0: In your relationship with the the medical professionals, as you're doing this, are you seeing in the last, let's say, week, a lessening or a, you know a flattening of the curve? Are we reaching a plateau from what you're hearing, or are we still going up? Because the reporting of the numbers is all over the place. I I don't trust anything we're hearing.
1: And from what I'm, <clears throat> excuse me, from what I'm hearing directly, <clears throat> sorry. From what I'm hearing directly from uh, hospital reps and also from a guy named Anthony Almuera, who is the vice president for the EMS Officers Local Union here in New York. Incredible guy. He too has been feeding me some, some good uh, info to ground truth this thing. So, one of the gauges that he uses is a um, pretty troubling one. So, on 9 there were 6,500 calls for paramedics and EMTs, 6,500 throughout New York. But of course, um, sadly, on that day, uh, a lot of those calls didn't in, didn't require uh, patient care because there were no patients. There were, uh, you know, a lot of folks. Most folks didn't survive that. Right? But you had 6,500 calls that day during the. The late March or the beginning of middle March, or uh, sorry, uh, beginning the third week of March, I believe, into April for about three weeks, that number, 6,500, was smashed every day. You had up to 7,200 calls on any given day. Other days, you, you had 5,000. Yeah, I think on average, they have 4,200, 4,500 calls, but they were beating that 9-11 number every day. And of course, with each of those calls was a patient in need. <clears throat> so they were under incredible stress. I mean, we could hear it here in Brooklyn. We could hear this strange symphony of sirens throughout the night. Uh, that was just, I just found incredibly eerie because because for every siren, there was a story there of trauma, not only for the patient, but also for those folks who were responding, those EMTs and paramedics. And I think that's a story that we want to keep an eye on going forward because he's described to me that they're finding themselves in situations that they can do nothing about. Cardiac arrests related to COVID, where you show up, and there's really nothing you can do. You can't take the patient in, in for secondary care. And, you know, they're having numbers, you know, a dozen cardiac arrests a day that that these EMTs and paramedics are experiencing. And, the you know, the, the moral injury on that is going to be something that we need to take care of, that we need to keep an eye on. Because I think there's uh, there's some people in need from, you know, from a mental health standpoint. Um, So yes, it seems to me now, according to him, those numbers are starting to to lessen. They're still not down to normal rates. And also at the hospitals, it seems that there's uh, fewer uh, uh, folks coming in, less hospitalization. But of course, they're still pretty stacked in there with, uh, with patients who are sick in ICU and also patients who are unfortunately not making it through this thing
0: um jesus you know your 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 commitment and your heart is always big the last time we did a big talk like this you had just come back from i believe from africa right Uh, trying to help out with ebola so you're always somebody who's who's committed to helping the people not just in this situation Um, yeah it
1: just i have been working in sierra leone for many years and it just happened that the area in which we uh, worked, I was focused more in Sierra Leone than I was on acting for about a decade. And the area in which we uh, operated was 40 miles from patient zero during the, uh, the West Africa Ebola outbreak. So that educated me uh, pretty uh, intently, intensely on, on some of the consequences of, of a situation like this. But more importantly, I had the opportunity to meet people like Tony Fauci Larry Brilliant, who is uh, part of the team that's credited when he was at the WHO, was part of the team that was credited with eradicating smallpox globally. So I had a chance to meet folks who really know this uh, know this uh, this world. And so when this outbreak occurred, my ears pricked up, and I also had a pretty good sense as to where to go for good information. So yes, you know this is not in some ways, not my first, uh, unfortunate rodeo, uh, with this sure. stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, I've tried to do what I, what I could to, you know, to to help in these situations. Cause what else are we going to do? <laughs> you know, we, we're going sit, to sit and watch the television all day and have our heads explode and, you know, throw wine bottles at the, <laughs> and i And I'd have gone through <laughs> every television in this house by now. If I just sat and watched that thing, man.
0: Well, all right. When you're watch, when you're not watching the news, what do you watch? What are you liking? What are you enjoying watching right now?
1: Oh man, I'm not watching much right now, really, because uh, the this project has has really taken up much of my much of my focus. I did watch uh, Tiger King. I saw that. That was how great was that? That was a grind though. That was that was a, was grind, that was a, that was a <laughs> lot
0: of them folks though, man. That was a lot of those people <laughs> to digest. Yeah, like my God, my God. everybody Ooh. in this show is crazy. Every single one. Oh man. Oh man. But hey, America, baby. You know, <laughs> they're out there. They are out there in more ways than one. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash. well, a lot of people are getting by watching your work on Westworld and some other places. So, I do want to talk about you as an actor because you've been one of the great actors in the game for a long time. Um, can we talk about acting a little bit? Just like what do you what do you love about acting?
1: Uh, what do I love about acting? Um, you know, I think what I have grown to love most about acting is uh, working with the other folks. And I don't only mean the actors. I mean, I, li- I like being on sets uh, or on stage with a crew of people that you don't necessarily see through the camera lens or on the stage when the performance happens. I really enjoy, it's a hugely creative process. process. And I just enjoy that. I enjoy holding my end of the thing down you know, when I enjoy walking through the carpentry shop and checking out what the guys are doing and, you know, and saying, Hey, you know, Hey, just poking around. I got in trouble doing that at Pinewood. Uh, we were shooting Batman in January and I ended up wandering onto this, uh, a set that wasn't ours. And I I almost got into one of the guys over there, but I love doing that. I love just drifting around and, you know, poking in with the special effects guys and Seeing, you know, you know how they bring their craft to bear on the thing and I love when the camera rolls and you know It's pointing at me. I love doing my thing and having for example, the uh, You know one of the guys a grip uh, on Westworld named Mike Anderson And he also makes dollies and all these incr- and really talented dude and uh, he'll look at me, you know in the morning and uh, look me in the eye we shake hands And it's time to roll, baby. He has confidence in me. I have confidence in him. And I love that aspect of what we do. And a lot of people don't don't appreciate that who aren't, uh, you know, who are outside of of the business. And that's really what I enjoy the most. Also, you know, finding a good piece. You have to have a good piece, good writing at the center of it. But once you get that, that for me um, makes the groove, you know? I mean, it uh, really
0: does. I mean, I've known you a long time. And so when you perform your magic, I always believe that you are who you say you are. There's no like, oh, that's my man, Jeff. It's like, no, that's Colin Powell or that's whoever you're playing. And the the depth of the conviction is so powerful. How do you do that? How do you make me forget, yo, that's my man? And like be like, yo, I 100% believe he is who he says he is.
1: Well, you know, I, that's part of the fun for me too, is adapting, you know, uh, trying to shape myself, my ego, my thing, uh, around the character that I'm, I'm supposed to be portraying, supposed to be creating. And that, uh, it keeps me busy because, um, I'm flexible, <laughs> you know, if you can't beat them, confuse them. So <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't have necessarily, a, you know, a, a Know, a type um, you know i've never been pigeonholed and so i enjoy that aspect of it and it also allows me greater opportunity and i just use everything i can i use all the tools i can voice body eyes uh, use the work of the costume designer you know make sure that the shoes inform the way i move you know all of these things you know uh, add to and increasingly now you know i use the the wig department You know, the wig makers out there, you know, (laughs) I use all the tools I can to create to create someone outside of myself who, you know, of course, is infused with who I am. But I'll say one more thing, too, about you asked me my favorite, you know, why I like acting. There are two things, too, that that I like about being on a movie set. One is when the camera rolls. The other is when we go home. That's two best parts. When the camera rolls and when we get the fuck out of there, you know, because they're long days and uh you know, it's a grind. And um, you know, when that uh when that camera rolls is is when kind of time stands still and everyone everyone focuses, is a quiet and you're not aware that you've been there for seventeen hours. You're just in the in inside that moment trying to tell that story, and then the camera rolls again and you're back to the tedium of waiting and all that stuff. Or the camera cuts and then you're back to the tedium and and you know but ideally you get a good flow going and uh and then you say okay you know that's you know martini that was the last shot okay let's let's get the hell out of here those, that, that, those are the, those are the two best best aspects of it influencer it's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days there is a woman who went the distance who broke ground as the first true
0: influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story
1: of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever
0: you listen. I've had other actors on here and they've said, most actors are not, chameleons, you're kind of doing a version of yourself all the time, but I think you're really a chameleon. Do you think that's accurate? That's part of the fun for me. Those were the actors that I really was drawn to
1: uh, when I started, you know, guys like, guys like Dustin Hoffman, Mm -hmm. who always had some kind of theatrical tricks that he brought to bear and he never was quite the same in any role. You know, a guy like Alec Guinness, you know, who would love, you know, I'd love the theater, the theatrics of that stuff. And that to me <clears throat> was was what it what it was about. It was about just crafting a uh, character, you know? you don't wear the same pair of shoes every day, you know, they, they, they shoe designers, well, maybe I do, but designers make different shoes. We just, you know, we actors—the ones that I respect the most—make uh, make different characters. You know, they just—that's—that's—that's uh, that's, that's part of the challenge.
0: You talk about Dustin and Alec. Do you do you have a top five or a top a list of Group top of actors? actors? Yeah, top five actors. Um,
1: oh, if, uh, off the top of my head, if I thought of the folks early that. I really appreciate it. i and I'll go back. Of course, you know, you gotta go with like Sidney Poitier. Um yes. my first my first ever close-up or semi-close-up single shot was opposite Sydney Poitier. In a in a mini miniseries called Separate but Equal, he played Thurgood Marshall. I played Bill Coleman, who was the youngest of the attorneys. Uh, uh, at the Legal Defense Fund during the Brown versus Board of Education uh, case. <clears throat> and I was 22 years old, 21. I just out of college, just moved to New York about a year before. And I had no idea what I was doing. I just started acting my junior year of college. And I got this role, uh, or they asked me to come in for the role because I was a political science major. And they assumed I knew a little bit about this uh, subject, which I. Did. Um, and that's why I got the role. I had no idea what was going on. But my first that first single with me, I looked up Cindy Poitiers on the other side of the camera, and they say rolling. And I'm like, oh my God, I have no idea what the hell I'm doing, but I'm gonna fake it, baby. And uh he is such a beautiful man. Uh he was so gracious. Me, a little knucklehead, you know. Uh he was so generous and just such graceful uh leadership qualities that he that he exuded so sydney is is right up there he had been before that to serve with love you know just my you know well, you know as a kid my heart just you know it just filled you know with his with his with what he uh what he did and the stories he told and what he re- Represented so of uh, Sydney, of course. A uh, Marlon Brando, uh, mm. you know, I mean, yeah, uh, you know, it is what it is. Dennis Hopper, yep. Uh, um, I'll tell you one that a lot of folks sleep on who I think is, a, a, you know, <laughs> I mean, just so super bad was Adolf Caesar, mm. uh, soldier story. Uh, the, Soldier, oh, come on. Uh, Soldier story and color purple. How he didn't win, a, win an Academy Award? I don't even know he, if he was nominated. I believe he was, but come on, man. Mm. I mean, those two performances, particularly Soldier Story, is as bad as it gets. Mm. Period. Um, and another actor <clears throat> uh, who who really influenced me in very specific ways was Gary Oldman. Um, and actually he and Dennis, I got a chance to work with on Basquiat. And that was, uh, that was, that was pretty special for me. Of course, David Bowie, Chris Walken, you know, everyone came through Benicio on that, you know, but, but Gary, uh, was, was a very specific inspiration for me. For example, you know, a lot of people like Peoples and Shaft, you know, Peoples is kind of out there, you know, he has his moments of, uh, of, uh, Intense uh, emotional uh, uh, expression, you know, he puts it out <laughs> there, and the, and I can say very specifically that the way I was able to go there was a result of watching Gary Oldman and Sid and Nancy and going, man, this dude is bringing it. He's not like there's there's no governor here. There's you know. There's no eleven for him. That whole thing, thing just goes. You know, he just cranks it up, and I was like, "Wow, that's possible." And so Gary was a very specific uh, influence on me, and you know, working with him at the you know early in my career was a, was a great gift. And likewise, Dennis, man, Dennis Hopper, same. And <clears throat> you know, so I've had the benefit of being inspired by folks who I've actually had a chance ultimately to work with, and Dennis, when we did Basquiat. The first scene that we filmed was a scene in which I walk into, I'm outside with Benicio. We see Andy Warhol, David uh, Bowie, and Dennis, who played Bruno Busschusberger, walk into this restaurant. And I follow in with some postcards that I created to try to sell to them. So the first scene that we shot in that movie was that interior scene around the table the two of them sitting at the table I come in you know just uh, Bogard and try to sell these cards so we came we rehearsed that scene and then I went back to hair and makeup to you know to the trailer and I'm sitting in the chair and they're doing whatever I don't remember exactly what we're doing and Dennis walks into the trailer and he leans into my ear and he says, cool. And I was like, oh man, that was it. That was like the blessing, you know, it was, you know, I was ready to roll. I was ready to roll.
0: What does eating healthy mean to you? From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. All these great people you've been around, studying the craft, learning from, what's the best advice about acting that you ever got? The best advice about acting that I ever got, um,
1: maybe from Sydney Poitier. He said, and I knew exactly why he said it when he did. I think I might have asked him that. Any advice for me <laughs> you know, at the end once we, once we finished the shoot down in uh, Charleston, South Carolina? And I said, he said, well, he said, if I could say one thing to you, or maybe you offered it. He said, if I could say one thing to you. Irony. And I knew why he said it. And I took it on board, you know, that was
0: it. What did that mean? What did that mean? It meant
1: that um, you don't always have to play the note. You can play in between the note. Playing, always playing the note, eh, you know, we hear it, but do we really feel it, you know? So in those moments that are most tragic, where's the comedy? You know, in those moments that are most comic,
0: where's the, where's the pathos? You know? Hmm. Hmm. So, well, I mean, you know, that goes to what I want to talk to you about too. Uh, when, when you get the script, what do you do? Was it, was it, what are some of the first things you do? um, I just read them.
1: And if they, if the music, if the music compels me, if I feel it, then I read more and I get excited about it. Um, I just read what's on the page, read the story, the way it's presented, the way it's written, the structure of it, the, uh, the the language just that's, that's it. I just take it in. Uh, um, and I, my, you know, I try to stay open to any, any uh to all the different um processes I, I don't really have any kind of one thing that i do i stay open i try to stay open and 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 uh, and 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 allow myself whatever needs to be done That's what i'm telling
0: i try to talk to people and i think you have a great sense of the responsibility to the ancestors um and i wonder where that shows up for you in your work cuz you definitely seem to be deeply conscious of the people both actors and black people you know who led to you having the moment that you're having
1: well i mean i just try to advance the ball down the field you know i just try you to yeah, I've been influenced. So I try to honor those influences and just try to see if I can stand on shoulders and, and and elevate it a little bit more if I can, you know. Don't always succeed, but every once in a while. Yeah, I mean, that's how we live. It's not solely um, uh, subject, of how, subject of how we work, but also how we live, right, you know? Um, that's how I was raised anyway. Um, I think we At times now perhaps forget <laughs> that there were folks who came before us You know, I think we can we think we created it all we think uh, You know, we, we look at the political sphere right now and you know, I hear from certain younger folks, you know that there were No revolutionaries that came before them, you know, it's all happening now, but it's just uh foolish to to think that that could be true whether it's um in in
0: in art or in life so um yeah of course of course i mean in acting it's very tangible we are old enough to remember when there were very few black people you know getting on the small screen or the big screen and feels like now we're in a cinematic golden age for black people in terms of the people who are in front of and behind the camera who are getting to tell really authentic stories um does it feel like like a sort of golden age to you
1: well i think there's a lot more content out there now or at least there was until this covid uh outbreak hit uh, there're just more avenues for storytelling now. there's more content generally, and yes, black artists have been they taking advantage of that in really exciting ways. Um, one of you know one of the you know you're talking about folks coming before one of the things that has been kind of surprising to me um and gratifying is there are a lot of like really great young actors working right now, and I'll run into them and they'll say uh you know that uh, that I had an influence on them. So um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of great stuff happening right now, and and it, it and it's 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 a function of yes, the talent that that's out there, and also a function of the opportunity for that talent to do its work. Because that's really that's really what it's all what it's only always been about is having the opportunity. It hasn't been, of course, for lack of of uh, of ability, it's just too often the doors were shut, but now there there are more doors uh, uh, available to us.
0: What is it in you that has led to the success that you've had? Because lots of people tried hard. You know, w- w- what is it? What is it in you?
1: The thing I think that um, has really uh, assisted my career. Uh, is, is, is this, is my education. It's a pretty simple story. Um, I write reasonably well and I know how to interpret language reasonably well. And that's a function of training. Um, and I don't mean as an actor, I mean <laughs> training by the English teachers that, pounded <laughs> Pounded, you know syntax and sentence structure and things like this into my head That have allowed me the tools needed to interpret language um, It's also I you know, I was a political science major as I said, so my interests and my education exist outside of solely of filmmaking film and acting and that's given me an advantage in terms of, again, how I interpret things or what I'm able to reference um, in, you know, in any given <clears throat> role. So education, 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 period. Any young actor that I work with, you know, they're, you know sometimes I work with kids. It's my last question to them at, you know, in front of their parents. OK, you know, you're on set now. You've been you know, working. When are you going to college? And, you know, college isn't for everyone, but education certainly is. And that, that's it. Me, and that's, that's been my, that's been my, uh, my key, I think.
0: <clears throat> I mean, I, I definitely feel that because like, you know, you do some complex, intelligent pieces and it, you know, it, it fits and I can feel the depth and the mind working. I mean, Westworld in particular is a really complicated, layered piece and, uh, I, I know, you know. If you really like the intellect going, that that's got to be a lot of fun to do.
1: Oh, it's, yeah. It's
0: it's it's it's.
1: Yeah, but that's what uh, you want to be ahead of the audience. You don't want to be. You don't want to do stuff that's you know be sitting behind audiences leading you down the down the path. Yeah. So we'll try to find those writers who are pushing the edge. Jonah Nolan, Lisa Joy are two are um, two showrunners are writers like that in the writing room. They're really pushing, um, you know, pushing the, the boundaries. And we have a premise that allows us almost endless exploration. We can go do anything. And I recognized that when I read that first script, because I hadn't seen the movie at Westworld. I went and saw it and went, oh, OK. And then uh, Jonah sent me the script, the first, uh, the pilot for the first episode. And it was clear. It's like, wow. Okay. For first thing, the structure of that first story was really well conceived. The architecture of the writing was fascinating. The use of repetition and um, the ways in which it kind of folded in on itself, simply in the, in, in, in the, in uh, the writing itself. And then Uh, there was a poetry to it and an efficiency to the language that I appreciated. And then there was, um, this sense that, uh, again, that we could go anywhere with this, with, with these stories. And if you're going to be a part of a series that is going to go on for several years, you want, you don't want to, you know, find yourself grinding down on the same in, you know, on the same tracks. It was clear that we had a lot of pathways to explore this thing and so that's what drew me to it you know it was then from
0: that literally reading that first uh that first script when you started uh when this all this craziness started you were uh up in london working on the next batman this the this the the cast for that is incredible you know the story sounds incredible what can you tell us about uh what's coming up with that project uh,
1: we were in the middle of it having a ball and we were sticking, you know, sticking our feet in that thing. It's really cool. <laughs> it's really cool vibe that, uh, that Matt Reeves, the writer and director has created. And um, we had, I guess we were, we'd been filming for about two and a half months. And then we, you know, we shut down indefinitely now, but it's, <clears throat> It is Batman is an interesting. It's an interesting world. It's an interesting set of of stories. Uh, it begins back in nineteen thirty nine. Is the first uh, the first uh, comic, with, uh, uh, and, and and so it's evolved since then and expanded and explored new. Uh, uh, you know, the new realities of the day in, 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 a, in a sense. And what's interesting about it is he, you know, Batman is like the one, I think superhero who's actually grounded in, uh, in, 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 the world, in our world. He's not, you know, kind of extraterrestrial. He doesn't have all these extraordinary powers. He lives in Gotham. You know, he lives basically in New York city, Chicago, you know, big American metropolis. And he's a detective, you know, kind of navigating through the, uh, the corruption and the muck and the and the decay of 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 a of a of a city that looks very much like one we're familiar with. So there's there's a lot of uh, fun stuff to um, to to get your hands around with it. And then, of course, you know, it's just like some of the, you know, some of the coolest, uh, some of the toys. coolest stuff, uh, some of the cool toys that, uh, that we get to play with on this thing. It's been, it's really, it's, it's, I think Matt's really putting, um, a sign, his signature on it and a signature that will further, um, help the stories. Uh, the Batman series evolve in a way that's super
0: cool and makes total sense. I really dig it. I really dig I, it. I mean, having a, when having Mike... When Michael Keaton was Batman, it was it was beautiful, but it was campy, right? And that's not a diss. That, it, I love those pieces. And when yeah. Christian Bale did it, it was it was edgy and dark. Um, and now Robert Pattinson is playing Batman. So, you know, and like you said, new director, new writer. So where does it fit in with the other Batman pictures? I I know it's not going back to the can't be it can't be as edgy as it was with with christian bale and and chris nolan um so where where are we where's the vibe now
1: uh hmm. uh without giving too much away uh how would i describe it you just have to wait and see <laughs> you know, the, 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 real, the real camp, the real camp was uh, was Adam West. You know, that was the that was yes. the O.D. I mean, he, well, he, you know, for modern uh, audiences. And in fact, you know who the first Batman was? Who? The first Batman was the father of Michael Wilson, who is um, half brother to Barbara Broccoli. And who produce James Bond series. James Bond. Mm-hmm. Michael Wilson's father, I forget his first name, uh, um, 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 sadly, but uh, he was the first Batman. But for me, the first Batman was Adam West. And mm. you know, at the t- at the at the same time though, yeah, it can't be all of that, you know. But Matt and I, who were about the same age, were saying, you know, but when we were kids, it didn't seem like Camp. I mean, that was real, that was real, you know. Daring do and all that stuff, you know, that was, you know, and the, and the the bat cave and the technology, all of that stuff was, you know, that was, uh, that was leading, you know, that was on point stuff, you know, that was the coolest stuff outside really James Bond that you saw, you know, on TV for us. There were some others, there were some other, uh, uh, other places to go to, but you know, it wasn't camp then, but no, Hmm. we're not going back there. (laughs) We're not revisiting, uh, those pastels. I can tell you in terms of kind of palette, which you've seen perhaps from, from some of the um, shots. It has a really rich tone. It's got a warm tone, but there is a there is a uh, a moodiness. You know, uh, there's a there's a mystery to it. There's a mystery to the tone and, uh, and, a, and, a, and, a raininess. It's, uh,
0: it's, it's super cool. It's super cool. Nice. I'm excited for, nice. I'm excited to finish it and then I'm excited to have people see it. Yeah. Uh, last thing, um, you know, I ask everybody, what's your superpower? You know, what do you do a little bit better than everybody else that allows you to have the success that you've had? Um, you know, what's your superpower? My superpower,
1: Um, my superpower would be um, uh, probably like Batman, uh, my superpower is that I have no more superpowers than anyone else. (laughs) That's my superpower, (laughs) you know, and I remind myself of that to the extent that I can. When I sometimes might forget that the humility, but that's not. But that's not to say that we all don't have you know extraordinary powers. But uh, whatever mine are, no more than anyone else's. Humility. I mean, yeah, I guess I try. I try sometimes. I try. Yeah, you know, or at least to stay grounded. And which is going back to why we began. You know, where we began this conversation is why I'm trying to help out the community here. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, through Brooklyn for life. So uh, yeah, uh, my superpower in, in in this case is everyone around me out here.
0: Thanks so much to Jeff for a great interview and thanks to you for listening. Torrey's show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Toray, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Friday and next Wednesday with another amazing guest. Because the man can't shut us down.